Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. The unofficial Bengals podcast. Welcome to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this episode is going to be a review of the Bengals-Eagles game from week three. Tom McLeavy is going to stop in for another McLeavy minute. And Sands is going to come in to discuss some of the finer points of the game as well. Todd Pennington with Columbus-based Revolution Mortgage is the proud sponsor of the unofficial Bengals podcast. If you're looking to refinance into a very competitive low rate or cash out for debt consolidation or home improvements, now is the time with historically low rates. Todd should also be your go-to guy if you're looking to purchase a new home or get out of renting. So contact Todd Pennington at 614-390-9520 or visit revolutionmortgage.com slash tpennington for more info. Revolution Mortgage is an equal housing lender, NMLS ID 1686046. The unofficial Bengals podcast is brought to you by the Zedia Network. Week 3 Game Review. Cincinnati Bengals, 23. Philadelphia Eagles, 23. A tie. To quote Joe Burrow, you don't win, you lose. It's kind of how it felt. At the end of the game, I was like, I mean, it's better than being 0-3. I guess we're a half game above the 0-3 teams, but... One plus, it was a four-hour game, which I love. I could, like I was telling my girlfriend, I could watch eight hours of the Bengals straight. So to have a nice four-hour game was really cool. Happy about that. You know, I'll take the pressure of an overtime game. That's more fun. You know, that's more fun than a 38-7 to blowout in either direction. And also, I think Zach Taylor might be listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. I'm not sure. He ran the play that I suggested last episode, that little pitch out to Mixon with the split tight end. I don't know. You know, well, I'll keep the ideas coming. Maybe it'll help. All right, so on a serious note, 
I now know that we have a generational player. I've really only known Joe Burrow for six months, you know, based on when he came to the team and everything since then. And he's my favorite Bengal of all time at this point. I know it sounds a little bit crazy, but I'm being honest, I, that's true. So with that said, we're in a little bit of trouble this year. We've seen the games. Burrow is getting absolutely mauled out there. And I don't know if there's a solution on the roster right now for this. It's going to have to be someone on the team stepping up or a change in scheme or philosophy. But I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried that we, we're going to have a Greg Cook situation. And for those of you that don't know, Greg Cook was a really highly touted quarterback who had an excellent rookie season. And he took a vicious hit, landed on his shoulder, and was never the same after that. So I'm really hoping that that's not going to be the result for our generational player that we just got. So, you know, I'm a Bengal fan, and I root for all these guys. So it's hard for me to go and say about the offensive lineman, oh, this guy sucked, that guy sucked, this guy sucked, you got to get rid of this guy. It's just, I don't want to be that guy. I want to root for these guys. These are guys that I've been pulling for their whole careers, and I don't want to disparage them. So I'm not going to start off this podcast talking about the Bengals that should be on the bench or cut. But what I'm going to do is, if you guys can hang with me on this, I'm going to let you make the decision on who's doing what out there. We all saw the game, right? We all, a lot of times you're watching the ball, so you're not totally conscious of what's going on with the offensive line. You know, you see somebody get hit, you see an offensive lineman close, you blame it on that guy, right? That's typical. I follow the ball a lot in the game too. But I went back because of the significance of what's going on with the offensive line and the potential of Burrow for the future. I went back and I reviewed every pass play that we had. So there were a lot of deficiencies on the running plays. I'm not even going to go into that. We saw the game. Mixon had no room to run. I'm sure I can make an entire list of the running plays that we didn't have successful blocking on because Mixon didn't have any place to go the whole day. I'm going to very quickly read off the result of 30 different plays in this game that's going to tell the tale of what's going on with the offensive line. Like I said, it's easy to watch the game and and be like, the line sucks. But this is going to show you exactly what happened on these plays. So there were four penalties by the offensive linemen, and there were 26 plays where Burrow was contacted. Mostly hit and occasionally contacted, but either way, 26 times the opposing team got their hands on Burrow. And there were several other plays that they didn't get their hands on Burrow, but they came close or were rolling around near his legs. There was a lot of uncomfortable plays on top of these 30 plays. So here we go. You guys can be the judge on who's doing what on the offensive line and how each guy is performing. One, Jonah Williams lets up a sack to Josh Sweat. Two, there was a play where there's an unblocked outside blitzer. Three, Fred Johnson whiffs on on a defensive lineman. Burrow gets hit. Four, Fred Johnson false start. Five, Burrow gets knocked down by Cox on a rollout. Six, he gets hit hard on a rollout on a pass to Boyd, and it was the play that he got injured on. Hopkins and Fred Johnson didn't play to the whistle, so their guys ran free a little bit after they quit blocking, and Burrow got popped, and he came out of the game. Interesting, I guess, fun fact on that is, um, I don't know if you guys saw Finley in there for the one play. I was like, yeah, you know, he's got getting a few snaps, good for him. He tried to throw a block on, on the play that he was in there, and he got bowled over. So, you know, I mean, he comes in dry off the bench for one play and, and really gets tanked by a defensive lineman pretty, pretty heavy. Number seven, batted pass, and it was an unblocked guy, and Hopkins missed his guy, and there was kind of penetration through the whole line on that one. Number eight, sample lets up a sack. Number nine, false start on Hopkins. Number 10, Burrow completes a pass, but Hopkins is double-teaming 
a, a one guy, and another guy sneaks through that Hopkins doesn't see, and Burrow gets hit in the play. 11. Bad play here. Bobby Hart stops blocking. He doesn't play to the whistle on a rollout, and then Burrow gets knocked down on the sideline. 12. Bobby Hart misses an outside blitzer. 13. Jonah and Michael Jordan were rushed back into Burrow. Pass was incomplete. The pocket was just collapsing. Yes, I'm turning the page. Forgive me, but here we go. 14. Fred Johnson releases too early on a screen, so Burrow gets hit because of that. And then even releasing early, he whiffs on the block downfield, so the play gets blown up. 15. Fred Johnson misses an assignment and leaves an unblocked man. 16. Michael Jordan was pushed back, and Burrow falls down on a completion to Boyd. 17. Play-action bootleg. Hart misses his block, and then there's a second unblocked guy who was an outside blitzer, so Burrow gets hit by two guys. 18. Michael Jordan B on a completion to Boyd. 19. Guards and tackles, the three of them converge on two guys and then leave a third guy unblocked, and that's who hits Burrow. 20. Billy Price gets beat. Burrow dodges an arm tackle, still gets hit. 21. Hopkins pushed back into Burrow on the geo screen. So he even had contact on that play, even one of our more successful plays in the game. 22. Michael Jordan beat for a sack. Price is double-teaming someone and doesn't see a late blitzer, and Hart gives up early, so three people made contact with Burrow on that play. 23. Billy Price false start. 24. Hart was beat. Burrow completes to AJ, still gets hit. 25. Play action. Sample gets beat, and then a couple other guys come in and he gets sacked. 26. Billy Price holding. 27. Bobby Hart beat. Burrow hit on an incompletion. 28. Billy Price beat and pushed back into Burrow for an incompletion. 29. Bobby Hart beat for a sack. And number 30. Billy Price was beat for a sack on a crucial third down. So there you have it. You guys make the judgment on the offensive line, but there was a lot of negative plays. All right, so let's go over the flow of the game and some of the coaching things that happened. We need to learn to close out games. I mean, this was an Eagles team that had a patchwork offensive line. Wentz was way off. I don't know what's going on with him, if that's a temporary thing or a permanent thing, but he was missing a lot of throws. And they had no one to throw to. Goddard comes out of the game. You know, they did have Ertz in there. Jackson comes out of the game. Everyone else is hurt. They only have some backup wide receivers. So this is a game you got to kind of close out at that point. Zach Taylor was coming up with some very clever plays. He had Geo and Mixon in there on a couple downs, and, and there were a lot of clever route combinations. And, I mean, there was times where Boyd and Higgins were wide open. So, you know, some very good play calling by Coach Taylor. There was a couple plays I was questioning. There was three times where we ran a bootleg to the short side of the field. You know, if you're getting a whole group of people rolling out that way, there's it's hard to complete a pass. On two of them, it was an incomplete pass, and Burrow got hit. And on the third one, that was the pirouette play where he threw the pass downfield that was ruled out of bounds. But I was questioning those as they were happening, and and I think Adam Archuleta, the commentator for the game, actually questioned him as well. It's just a a curious move. I know you want to roll to his his right side, his strong side, but I would say wait until you have a little bit wider of a margin to do that. You know, maybe choose another play in those circumstances. I'd like to see more mixing in the passing game. We used them effectively early, kind of just like last game. And then towards the end of the game, you don't see a lot of mixing in the passing game. You know, maybe a a lot of times they're in that third down offense, so that's almost an automatic for Geo to be in there. But I'd love to see Mixon get the ball more in open space because he's not getting any running lanes, so he might as well 
you know, have him catch the ball where there's nobody around him and see what he can do for a little bit. And then the trend continues of letting up points at the half. I talked about this last week. I've been talking about this for years, truthfully, because it's really bothered me that they all the time, within two minutes of the first half, they're letting up a score. You can almost set your watch by it. And in this case, there was 22 seconds left when they let up that touchdown at the half. It was a, a questionable play call at that time by Anna Rumo. And in the fourth quarter, you know, we let up a TD at 129. So the same thing, you're not closing out either halves. There's something going on, whether it's scheme or execution breakdown or a combination of both. But we're really struggling at the end of the halves all the time, historically. This year, last year, the year before. If they didn't have that false start, I think Jake Elliott might have hit a 59-yarder and they would have scored with like five seconds left. So in this case, they would have scored twice in the final two minutes if not for that false start. So that was fortunate for us. As I mentioned earlier, there were a lot of unblocked defenders coming in too, so we have to figure out a way to scheme that up to prevent that. And then, you know, you had three possessions in overtime and we didn't score. That's a little frustrating. And then at the end of the game, there was 21 seconds left and a timeout left and we take a knee. I don't know. I might have tried to gamble there. Why not? And then with 13 seconds left in overtime, we do the draw play. I get it. That's that's basically saying, all right, we concede to the tie. I actually think that may have been to protect Burrow because of all the hits he was taking. But either way, it would have been cool for them to do something creative there, too, just to see if they could pull out some crazy win. That, that would almost turn your season around, right? What if they had some kind of trick play and they actually got a touchdown in overtime with 13 seconds left? That'll kind of springboard you into the next couple weeks. But either way, that's that's what happened in the game and when we live with it. All right, so let's move on to the good from the game. The main good point is there were no major injuries. I know Dunlap came out for a little bit. I was worried. I really thought he hurt his knee because he was grabbing right right around that area, like the back of the leg, knee area. But apparently he was okay. He came back into the game. He was fine. And then one of my favorite new Bengals, this Mackenzie Alexander, um, he gets banged up on a play, and as they're trying to walk him off the field, he like kind of shrugs off the trainer. I- I'm, I'm liking the way he's playing. And then Joe Burrow. I know he keeps saying it, but he keeps performing. If you look at these first three weeks, he hasn't made very many mistakes for a rookie quarterback. I mean, this game, maybe like two questionable throws, but again, under that kind of duress, how can you blame him? He was accurate. He had good velocity. He was making good checkdowns. He was finding the open receivers. He was showing toughness. I mean, he got hit. I mean, if any one of us got hit like he got hit on that play, I don't know, that might have been like two weeks in bed. And he came back the next play, boom, right out there again. So you got to admire that toughness. And then that pirouette move, amazing. That play was so good. I know it was ruled as an incomplete. I guess if it wasn't, it would have been all over Sports Center. But really skilled of him to avoid all those guys, make that last-minute pirouette, and still have his eyes downfield to make an accurate throw to an open receiver. And then the other thing is... He didn't have time all day on almost every dropback, as you heard earlier. There was a couple plays, literally maybe five plays, where he had a clean pocket, and he just delivered the ball on a dime. He's one of those guys. Tell me if you guys feel like this. Even with Andy, and I believed in Andy back then, when we were going downfield, weren't you at times being like, wow, I hope he doesn't throw an interception, I hope he doesn't throw an interception? Even though he wasn't an interception guy like that, Andy was was very successful, But I always had that, oh, don't throw an interception. But when you watch a guy like Tom Brady, you don't even have that in your mind. You're just saying, who's he going to hit next? How's he going to keep driving down the field? And that's what I have with Burrow. I'm like, he's going to just keep finding guys. I'm not worried about an interception. I I don't know. That's why I'm calling him generational. I I feel like we have our Tom Brady. T. Higgins, I said it last week. I saw the light go on for him in that second half of that Cleveland Browns game. And it continued into this game. So really happy that he's coming alive this early. 
and Tyler Boyd is the best receiver on this roster, period, and one of the best receivers in the league. I can't wait for him to get some more national recognition. He is just clutch. Really, really happy with the way that man is playing. Um, the play to Geo, you love to see Geo in open space like that, and a couple blocks downfield, a missed tackle, Geo showing some speed, some toughness. I could watch that all day, so hopefully Geo hits a few more of those this year. Nice to have Tate in there. Really showed that he should not have been inactive ever. And I'm not saying that Ross should be inactive either. I, I really believe they should have all seven of those guys and find a way to go light, maybe on defensive line. And then on to the good things about the defense. The overtime defense was great. Think about that. I know Wentz was off, but you know to stop a team three times in overtime is a good performance. I don't care what the circumstances were. Bates and Bell had a good bounce-back game. They look more like the safety tandem of the first game than the team that played against the Browns. The Bates interception. Ugh. I, honestly, I get really rowdy when I watch these games because it's just like my favorite thing. And when he dropped that, I was like, this is why we don't win games. You know, that was a big moment. But I'm not going to fault him. You know, that's that wasn't an easy pick. I would have liked to have seen it in his hands. But he played a great game, and so did Bell. And the secondary as a whole played a good game, too. I keep spouting off about Mackenzie Alexander. I know he let up a couple passes. But, I mean, he was doing everything. He's covering slot guys. I saw him on the outside a couple times covering guys. They had him blitzing. He had a tackle for a loss in the fourth quarter. He was playing physical. You know, he even dropped back into the safety position on the one touchdown. You know, that was a mistake. But he's showing the versatility that you can move this guy around, and he's productive wherever you put him. So I'm I'm really happy with him. Carl Lawson had a great game. Jermaine Pratt had a very good game, too. He was the one who dragged down Goddard when Goddard got hurt, and that's not why I'm praising him on the game. He just had a few really definitive tackles. It was like he had his hands on someone, and he made the tackle. And he also had a good play in coverage as well. Logan Wilson bounced back as well. There's some pros and cons that I'm seeing in his game already, and I don't want to speak too definitively on him because he's only played three games without any kind of real training camp. But I like him in space. I like his ability to chase down ball carriers. And he showed great awareness on that interception. You know, the ball was tipped right into his hands, but he was still dropping back into the right spot where even if it wasn't tipped, he probably had a pick there as well. And he's got good speed. I'm just a little concerned about him at the point of attack I'm seeing him get blocked a lot. I'm seeing him bounce off a ball carrier here and there. I want want to make sure that he's strong enough to play the role that they want him to play. He definitely has the range. Now it's a matter of if he's strong enough physically to play that position. And if he's not strong enough this year, then he's got some work to do in the offseason and, and, and do the kind of training that's going to increase his strength. Dunlap and Hubbard had an active game. Those are a bunch of good things. The special teams, if you want to go there, Huber has been so solid. And with that, Clark Harris, too. I'm going to keep saying it. I know we just, you don't think about the long snapper, but geez, it's just perfect every time. The special team's coverage has been so solid. And Bullock has been good, too. Except that out-of-bounds kick was killer. But again, no one's perfect. He was The rest of his kicks, whether it was a kickoff or for scoring purposes, were all good. He had one bad kick. He tried to place it, and it just sailed a little bit out-of-bounds on him. So moving on to the bad, and again, I'm not going to dwell on the bad. We talked about a lot of bad things with the offensive line earlier, unfortunately. A couple things. The pass interferences in the fourth quarter on on their, like, number four or five receiver, those are tough to deal with. So that, that was an unfortunate thing. I'd like to see the guys play a little more heady in those situations. Glad they're being aggressive, but if you get the penalty, it's all for naught. There were a few misses at the linebacker level, so we want to clean that up, but nothing like the Cleveland game, so that looked like it improved. 
And then moving on to A.J. Green, still trying to find his legs, it looks like. The, the issue is, and it's not the, the production, it's the fact that most of the catches that he's been making are contested. So that's a troublesome point. That means he's not getting any separation. So I'm hoping that A.J. gets that fixed. I'm hoping this is not a trend for the rest of the season. And Joe Mixon, his body language is starting to show frustration, and I can't blame him. No one can blame him. And he's been the total team guy and not wanting to be the guy to start pointing fingers. But, I, you know, I'm reading between the lines. I'm seeing his, the way he's acting down there and even his facial expression through the helmet or just his posture. He's starting to show his frustration a little bit. Okay, so that'll do it for the review of the Eagles game. As a result of this game and what's been going on this season, I've kind of reshifted my goals for this team. I go into every year just hoping for some kind of berth into the playoffs and then get hot in the playoffs and go to the Super Bowl. And this year was no different than any other year. That was my goal. I have now shifted those goals. My only goal for this year is for Joe Burrow to get out of the year healthy until reinforcements can come next year. That's the truth. If we end up winning some games, going to the playoffs, I'm all for it. But let's just let Burrow survive. And then in the offseason, we get two free agents and two high draft picks, and we fix this problem. Burrow's long-term health is way more important than a playoff run this year. McLeavy Minute. All right, we're here with Tom McLeavy. Tom, how are you today? Good, Frank. How you doing, Bob? All right, my man. What are your thoughts on this Bengals-Eagles game? Uh, it was a winnable game. They had plenty of chances to uh, seal the deal. Just at the end, and this is where the Carlos Dunlap factor comes in. They needed a stop in that last drive and couldn't get to him. You know, he did the normal take the offensive lineman on and just jump. But Carl Lawson did a great job of rushing the passer. And I'm a little disappointed with uh, Hover, but at least he's a little more productive than Dunlap. I just He's not getting the pressure that you need for a defensive end. But that game was a showcase for terrible offensive line play on both sides. I thought the Bengals had the worst line. It's head-to-head with the Eagles. That was terrible. They had Fred Johnson in the beginning. Terrible. And then Billy Price comes in, and I don't know which one was worse. So I, I can't believe, once again, that they took Burrow and just ignored the problems on the offensive line. It's just mind-boggling. But you have to take some positives from that game. I mean, T. Higgins is going to be a star. I told you he'd be in there in the first team after last week, and he was, and between him, Boyd, and even Auden Tate came up with some big catches. That's a, It's the last we're going to see of uh, John Ross. Uh, game scratch, healthy scratch, it just shows that another bust by Duke Tobin. Joe Burrow was, I mean, drilled in that one hit. I, I can't believe he got up and even played the rest of the game. One one fact I know for sure, he didn't get out of bed Monday morning. There's no way he was taking hits that we just got to hope and pray that he um, makes it through the season. It's remarkable how he never gives up on a play, always looking downfield, even scrambling. But if he keeps on taking hit after hit, game after game... I just hope he doesn't lose that attribute. Um, It was a winnable game. Defense played all right. 
but for a team that had no wide receivers, an average quarterback, terrible line, for them to still be in the game, to tie the game, and then send it to overtime, it was. It just showed that you know the Bengals are still miles away from being a competitive team. Yeah, Tom, that's what I felt was disturbing, that the fact that the Eagles had no one to throw to. I know they had Ertz out there, but, I mean, we could just double cover him. And really no one else and a bad line, and Wentz was looking subpar. And the yeah. fact that we, we couldn't just put them away is a little disturbing. Yeah, you know, like you say, we, we live and die with it. You know, we want to be successful. You know, when with the, seeing the Reds now getting hot at the right time, making the playoffs arguably the the best pitching staff in the playoffs you know you were seeing how they gelled at the end and came and got hot at the right time hopefully with next week's game we can can start something you know i love it man excellent talking to you tom you too frankie x's and o's with sans all right we're here with sans sans how are you today i'm doing all right all right, good, man. So what do you think about this tie that we just had with the Eagles? I don't know how to feel. It's uh, really frustrating. It feels like we should have won. In a lot of moments, I feel like we should have tried to win. Specifically, I know Burrow took eight sacks, but and the offensive line wasn't good. It wasn't as bad as eight sacks sounds to me, because when you have a quarterback like Burrow who loves to extend plays, hold on to the ball as long as he can to try to make that play, he's going to end up taking more sacks. It's a lot like Deshaun Watson in Houston, who also doesn't have a good offensive line, but he makes them look just a little bit worse than they are because he makes those, he extends the play and he makes those plays. And that's just something you live with because when he makes the play, it's well worth taking one or two extra sacks a game. Looking back, there was a, there was one on a free runner. So there's nothing he could really do about that besides maybe get the protection over quicker or, finding his hot faster maybe somebody maybe the wide receiver didn't see the free runner so he didn't run a hot but a lot of things could happen there i know fred johnson was not good in pass protection he even got replaced and billy price came in and he wasn't very good either so our right guard situation has it still looks bad everybody were throwing in there jonah got beat for another sack just like last week but it's another sack that i'm not too worried about it was kind of a a young offensive lineman move he uh josh sweat who is very athletic was able to two-hand swipe him which is a really timing based thing so he knew right when jonah was going to try to two-hand punch and he was able to swipe his hands away and get past him that's the only time he got beat from what i recall so well, we put in 90, 90 snaps and he lost one time granted it was for a sack but that's all i'll I'll take it. It's a little bit of growing pains, and the only thing you could really think of him doing there is he has to know that the edge rusher likes to swipe, and he can flash his outside hand. I think I've talked about that, where you look like you're going to start to block him, so you kind of flash it, and then you pull it back. So he's going to try to swipe, and then you've got him. But that's just something that comes with time. You don't expect your basically first-year offensive lineman to be able to do something like that. He was really solid in every other set. So the right guard's a problem, and then I think Michael Jordan has improved, but he's improved from, like, worst in the league to bottom five or six in the league. I, 
the things he's improved on are nice. It's like he can pass stunts now, which so mostly against the Browns, he he was passing stunts really well and taking the loop moderately well. He gave up a sack, I think, on one of them, but it wasn't that bad. He was able to pass it off to Jonah and take it. But then, and then today he was finding work, which is when you don't have a guy on you, you make sure nobody's coming or able to do a, like a kind of a, it's called a coffee house where they don't look like they're coming. And then once you turn, they go, just make sure nobody's able to do that. And then you just take a guy out. I saw him take out the edge rusher at least once when he was uncovered, which is once you want to see from somebody, you want to see that mentality to always be blocking somebody. Don't ever just be content with not doing anything. But then when he gets in these one-on-one pass sets, he's not winning. How long do we want to play the experiment of he's getting better, but he's still a liability? I don't know. We'll see if he continues to improve throughout the year, but I just don't like to see Burrow get hits, even if the guy is improving. But we don't really have anybody to take his spot, so we've just got to hope he gets better, I guess. Other than that, offensively, Zach Taylor continues to be the inexperienced coach that we hired where he runs some plays that they're really, really good. A few plays this week, um, I really love that one. You mentioned that uh, on your uh, preview about running a toss to the outside as our first play of the game, and that's what we did. We ran a crack toss, and it went for 11 yards, I think, and then... We tried to run that a few more times, and it seemed like we were getting two yards, three yards, not really getting anything going. And then we came back from halftime, and we ran one where we had Mixon. We were an empty, and Joe Burrow was under center, and Mixon was out wide, and he did like this uh, motion orbit or fly, not sure what you want to call it, where he comes sprinting down, and then he goes into the backfield. And we timed it up to run a toss out of that. And that's perfect for our offensive line was being deficient because all they really need to do is just cut their guys. So take him for like half a second. Just don't let him go free running into Mixon and he's going to get outside. And that's what happened. He got about 10 yards. And then we never ran anything based off that again. So we have this cool play design where we get a toss to a guy in motion to get him at full speed right away so that the interior of the offensive line doesn't matter. Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave, and uh, Malik Jackson, they don't matter. It's, they're, they're not going to be able to get to Mixon by the time he gets outside. And then we don't run any fakes off of it. We don't run a screen. We don't run it again. It's kind of frustrating. And then there was that fourth and two early that we didn't go for, which 50-50 on it. I I feel aggressive. I would have gone for it. You know, we we don't have too much to lose. We shouldn't be playing the punt, in my opinion. We're not, I'm not going to say we're not a playoff caliber team. We could be a playoff caliber team, but we have to win games to do that, right? So we need to play to win because we're not favored in this matchup. We were the underdogs. And then we, we punted. So uh, there was a goal line, not a goal line, I think we're on the 13, where the uh, play calls, I'm not sure the exact passing concept, but it was a jump ball to Auden Tate an inside zone up the middle with Mixon for no gain, and then a jump ball to Auden Tate. I don't mind the jump ball, but why'd you call two of them? We need to pick up that first down so we can get some, a better chance at this touchdown, which we didn't do. Sands, I never really liked that play at the goal line where they do the fade. I mean, I guess it, you know, I, I'm willing to try it once or twice in a game, 
but it just seems like I'd rather have a goal line play that has more possibilities. That's just like an all-or-nothing kind of play, and we did run that, as you said, twice in, in one crucial series, so that that's questionable, yeah. man. Yeah, and we ended up with a field goal there, and obviously we ended up tying going into overtime. If we get a touchdown there, there's no chance that they tie it up at the end of the game when our defense decides that John Hightower is now Julio Jones and needs to give him two pass interference plays. I didn't like that at the end of the second half, we didn't try to do anything with 30 seconds and a timeout. I mean... Why are we playing scared there? Are we scared that we're going to give up a safety, that Joe Burrow is going to throw an interception, which he hasn't done other than that terrible rookie mistake week one? I mean, just play to win. And then obviously the last play of the game where we just ran a draw and walked out of there content with a tie, which whatever. I mean, we're not going to probably get anything, but you kind of want your offensive guru to have some creative thing schemed up there, like a hook and ladder, just something to try. Like Miami beat New England on that weird ending play where they lateraled a hundred times. I just like to see a coach try to play to win rather than just walk away with the tie, you know? On defense, there was a lot. I know people love to complain that we're just sitting in zone, we're just sitting in zone, but we played so much man. And everybody's complaining, how do we keep giving up a 12-yard slant? Well, let me tell you, (laughs) slant route's how you beat man coverage. It's hard to cover in man-to-man. When you're playing this cover one man, they're going to beat us with these slants. And then you're going to complain about spot dropping too far in the zone or playing this soft zone. You can't play just one. So I just don't like to see the complaint where it's either man or it's zone. If you want to complain about a specific thing with it, sure. But we were getting killed. We were getting shredded in man and by just by those little slants. And I think everybody was complaining about it. So I don't blame Lou for switching to a little bit more zone looks. The only thing I will complain about is we ran one of my least favorite coverages for that touchdown at the end of the first half. Cover two is when you have two safeties deep. And then, um, obviously, the Tampa 2, which came big in the early 2000s when you had the middle linebacker kind of play in the middle to try to take away that soft spot because when you have two safeties trying to play half and half, the middle would it's a middle-of-the-field open coverage, but they try to take that with the middle linebacker. So going from there, there's a thing called a coverage called invert inverted cover 2. The safeties don't even look in a middle-of-field open look to start because there's not two deep. There's one deep, and then your cornerbacks end up playing the deep halves. <laughs> I'm sorry if this is too much. So we we ran that in like a half-the-field type thing. So it's called an inverted cover two side. Mackenzie Alexander from his slot position is supposed to be playing a deep half. That's just playing a player out of position. It's a lot to ask of him because we wanted to make it look like it was man-to-man coverage. I think everybody remembers he, the wide receiver motioned over and he was following him everywhere. And then he has to sprint back into a deep half to cover a streak route from the outside receiver. That wasn't on the cornerback outside. The cornerback played his role. He gave him a chuck and then he sat there and what is his role is a little hook zone there. And that's actually on Alexander to try to cover that from his slot cornerback. But he also has to cover the inside one. That's just too much to ask for. Why are you running that right before the end of half? And then man coverage is what killed us in the other half because every scramble Wentz had was against man coverage because when you play man-to-man coverage, your back gets turned to the quarterback and he's able to run. The ending play, 
where he tied the game on the scramble was because we were playing man coverage. We couldn't leave the wide receiver or tight end because you're the only guy on him, but you couldn't tackle Wentz because at first you couldn't see him, and then by the time you turn around, you're like, I have to cover my guy, and then boom, he's in the end zone. So it's just a frustrating thing. I'm glad to see Carlos Dunlap is alive, and Carl Lawson had a really good game against Jason Peters. So that was good to see. The defensive line is there. And Logan Wilson had a great bounce-back game. I almost don't didn't want that pass tip that he intercepted because he was sprinting back there reading Carson like a book. He was gonna it looked like he might have got the interception even if he threw it like threw it as hard as he could. Wow, Sands, way to analyze a game, man. Sands, how do people find you on social media? I'm at uh, Bengals underscore Sands on Twitter. All right, excellent my friend. So I'll catch up with you next episode. Yeah, catch up to you next episode. Hopefully we can get a win against Jacksonville. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to be a preview of the Bengals-Jaguars game. Tom McLevy's going to stop in for another McLevy minute. And we're also going to bring back Seb Talk Sports to give a Jaguars preview. I cannot wait. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool music, really cool highlights, definitely something you guys got to check out. And I'd also like to thank the Zedia Network, the network that brings you the unofficial Bengals podcast. You can find them at Zedia Network on Instagram and Twitter, and they have a whole bunch of shows on their roster. They sell merchandise. Definitely your one-stop place for entertainment. So go check out at Zedia Network. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast.